today's episode is brought to you by the Buick Encore. We know a lot of you listen to us while you're commuting, and whether that means you're on a train, walking to work, or in your car, commuting is maybe not the most fun, but we do know something that can make it a little better. Introducing the Buick Encore, because let's face it, if you're going to get stuck in traffic, which you are, why not spend that time in a car you love? The Buick Encore takes the stress out of boring driving situations. I would like to think we do too. You know what else is really fun when you're in the car? Do you remember the license plate game? I think you're alone on that one. Let's just get into today's episode. I kind of had this moment of, oh my God, am I going to choose path A or path B? And they seem very different to me. And that's when I thought of the idea for the feedback. And it was like, wow, I can kind of combine both this, you know, wanting to help the world and humanitarian aid work with this passion I had around design and entrepreneurship. I'm Danielle Weisberg. And I am Carly Zakin, and we are the co-founders of The Skin. You're listening to our podcast, Skinned from the Couch, where we talk to other female entrepreneurs about what it takes to get to the top and then what it's like along the way. We're talking bad advice, the really low days, management mistakes, everything that goes into the real stuff. No BS. We started The Skin from a Couch, so what better place to talk it out than where it all began? We are on a couch right now. So please join us in welcoming Lauren Bush Lauren to the couch. And we're very excited to have you. Lauren grew up in Houston, Texas. Diplomacy and world problem solving are in her blood. <laughs> Not many people can say that. Former President George H.W. Bush is her grandfather. And President George W. Bush is her uncle. But Lauren has built a legacy all her own. She's the CEO and co-founder of Feed Projects, the company that sells products like bags and accessories. You've definitely seen them feedback, and uses the sales to help distribute food around the world. Lauren came up with the idea in college when she was working as an honorary student spokesperson for the United Nations. And since Feed was founded in 2007, it's donated more than 100 million meals. Lauren, welcome to the couch. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. We are thrilled to. So how does someone become a spokesperson for the UN in college? (laughs) Honestly, it was somewhat luck. They were at the time looking to engage more young people, college students, in the fight to end world hunger, that little issue. And as luck would have it, I was on the Today Show promoting a different cause that I cared about. And they saw me, the sort of head of communications in New York, and contacted me and said, would you be interested in traveling and you know learning about this issue, digging in, and then becoming a spokesperson to engage your peers and fellow students. So for about two or three years in college, I was kind of every vacation I got, even got funding from my university to go and travel and really dig in and sort of see their programs firsthand around the world. And obviously from that experience, was so moved and and knew whatever I did post-grad that it had to be something, you know, giving back to this cause and, and these communities and families and children specifically that I had met. And that's where the beginnings of Feed. Did you feel like there were high expectations to find your own way to give back or contribute knowing your family? It's funny. Yeah, it's hard to sort of separate out your, it's a good therapy session, your past. <laughs> um, in that sense, I do think, obviously, being from a family where it, is about public service was a huge influence is a huge influence and um yeah it kind of was an expectation growing up that I 
you kind of contribute to the world in some way. And I, I knew my contribution probably wouldn't be in politics, um, but maybe would take a different path. Even my mom growing up had a charity that helped homeless and abused children. So I sort of, you know, whether it was her charity and her work more locally or whether it was my family, obviously on a national global stage, for me that was kind of the norm and what I aspired to do. But I definitely didn't know how that would manifest you know, in, in starting to travel and work as a student with the World Food Program. It was just such perfect timing because it was that moment when you're kind of on your own and, and thinking through, you know, where you want your life to go and what career path you're going to take even right out of college. And funny enough, at the time, I really loved fashion and design still. So I was either spending summers sort of in Africa with the World Food Program, visiting um, and helping out on the ground. Or at Central St. Martin's, I did a design internship here at Zach Posen. So really digging in on the fashion front as well and learning in New York City. And I, I kind of had this moment of, oh, my God, am I going to choose path A or path B? And they seem very different to me. And that's when I thought of the idea for the feedback. And it was like, wow, I can kind of combine both this, you know, wanting to help the world and humanitarian aid work with this, um, you know, passion I had around design and entrepreneurship. Did you have a one moment of you're like, oh my gosh, this is how I'm going to combine it? Or was it a more gradual thing? It's definitely gradual, but it did. I did sort of have that aha moment, which people talk about. I was actually studying abroad in Australia my junior year. And in Australia, um, much more prevalent to kind of use uh, reusable bags than in the U.S. still. And it really struck me that this is something that a, everyone should be doing and catching up to. And again, at the time, also traveling, really seeing that so little goes so far. So you could build the cost of five meals, 10 meals, 100 meals into the cost of a product, and people would buy it, not only because they love the product, but because they want to give back in this very tangible and measurable and meaningful way. So it was kind of this aha moment. I was walking you know, near the beach in Bondi, that I was like, oh, you know, A bags, reusable bags, eco-friendly, on top of um, giving back in this really tangible way. Do you consider yourself a fashion person, a social good entrepreneur, a business person? Because there, there have been so many different ways the idea for feed has come together. You know, it depends on the minute of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are all sides of me. Um, I don't think feed would exist without all of those components. So some days I get to put on the social entrepreneur hat more so, or some days it is more about the design and the fashion element of feed. Um, and others, it's more purely about the give back and the kind of social impact side of what we do. So feed was your first and only job really mm-hmm. as, as at, after college. Walk us through, I mean, it's not like we had worked for, for many, many years before we started mm-hmm. the skim, but we did have the exposure to working in a corporate environment and the professional experience. Walk us through just kind of how you've grown as a professional through this. And like when you think about, you know, Lauren at age 22 versus yourself now, like how how are you different? How are you the same? That is such a good question. I have learned so much. And and often in interviewing people I've worked with, I have to sort of say candidly, like I don't know anything (laughs) but feed. Truly, I've grown so much. Just you kind of live and learn principle but also from surrounding myself now with a community of advisors, mentors, people you know outside of FEED, but also I've learned so much from my team, many of whom have had prior experiences that come to FEED with sort of outside 
expertise that they bring to the team. So I think definitely having no real job experience prior to starting Feed, I've really had to lean and kind of educate myself via people in my network. Time for a quick break. So we were talking about commuting. Yes, and how fun playing the license plate game is on the highway. Again, that's just for you. But it was much better than Punch Buggy. I hated that game growing up. Today, we have cars like Buick Encore to take our commutes to the next level so you don't have to play a game like that. The Encore is a small, luxury SUV with premium amenities like a heated steering wheel. It's kind of like a spa on the road for your hands. Oh, I like that. It also has... Cool technology, like a built-in Wi-Fi hotspot to keep you connected on the go. And an 8-inch color touchscreen infotainment system with Apple CarPlay. Apple CarPlay is my favorite. It makes listening to Skim from the Couch easier. Okay, I am all about the Buick Encore, but right now let's get back to the show. A lot of our audience, you know, we've been able to talk to a lot of them about career advice and you know what to do when you have a semblance of an idea and when to pursue it and how and a question we get asked all the time is I have you know for for especially from college students or people Mm -hmm. who just graduated I have an idea do you recommend I go pursue it now or do you recommend I get professional experience Mm -hmm. elsewhere what what do you tell people when they ask you that I generally say jump in and do it I think I in some ways ignorance is bliss and if we knew what we know today we may have been much more hesitant or nervous to sort of jump in and do it but then you know the skin wouldn't be here and feed wouldn't be here and it also I think not knowing all the rules you kind of go forth very confidently and break them and create your own model as you all have done and as I've done with feed so I think there's a power to having that sort of optimism I do think it is that constant balance of confidence in your vision and optimism, if you will, to see it through with the practicality of of leaning on people and experts in different realms to get advice of how to bring that to fruition and, and obviously listening to, to the marketplace and what you're hearing and seeing and feeling of what's relevant and needed in that moment. Not to say blindly just jump in and do it, but I do think it does take some of that, not ignorance, but sort of, yeah, naivete to get things going. Do you guys agree? Yeah. The way that I think about it is if you knew how hard it was going to be, no one that's a rational person would do it. So (laughs) it's much better to not know Mm -hmm. and to jump in. Mm -hmm. I think it's also why I look at like serial entrepreneurs and like, how do you do it again? Right? I don't don't understand. But starting a business is about hustle and scrappiness, at least, Mm -hmm. you know, not having... um, it's not like any of us had the the business background going into it. Mm-hmm. How did you make those first sales of the bags? Like, how did you start it? How did you have to hustle? Yeah. So funnily enough, when I initially thought, had that aha moment, each bag had a one on it. It's still one of our best sellers. It feeds one child in school for one year. And the thought was, you know, why wouldn't you want to buy this cute, cool bag? It gives back. But I didn't know, yeah, how to kind of get it from that stage to a real idea. And it was about just hustling and making it happen. I initially actually intended the bag and the idea as um, a fundraising awareness raising tool for the UN World Food Program. So initially, I didn't even envision it as a separate company. 
And at the 18th hour, I had a PO in hand from Amazon.com for 500 units. It would feed 500 kids for a year. I was like, we're a go. Please, World Food Program, sign this purchase order to fulfill this order. And at the 18th hour, they couldn't do it. So that was the moment when I started Feed, literally to fulfill this first order. And again, with a lot of hustle and, and luck, I guess, they kept reordering. And by the end of like the first year and a half, we sold 12,000. So 12,000 children were fed for a year via this, for th- this one relationship with Amazon. So I didn't start with a business plan. I didn't set out necessarily to, to make Feed what it is today. I had the hope and the vision, even as a consumer, this was something I knew I wanted and was looking for and, and couldn't find necessarily. And companies like Tom's and the Red Campaign, there were it was a, a moment in time when a lot of these things were happening. But candidly, I never heard of the term social entrepreneurship or conscious capitalism, consumerism, which is you know buzzwords of, of the day, thankfully so. And I'm really proud that Feed was there in the beginning before these things were, were sort of a standard of, of doing business. But very candidly, I did not start necessarily with a, a big grand plan and a, a business plan. But what was, I mean, the turning point of when, I mean, obviously 12,000 bags is amazing, but you could have been like, you know, what an incredible thing I did as a really young kid. Mm-hmm. What made you go from that to like, this is now like a business and like, I'm going to turn this into something bigger. Like, was there a moment that you were like, oh, I can't stop here? <laughs> I think, and it probably as you guys have experienced, once you feel that momentum, you just start dreaming bigger and bigger. And even if just that fulfilling that first order was like the initial goal, for me very quickly, I saw that people were wanting it. There was an appetite. Press came, you know, were writing about it. And I mean, I will never forget the first time I saw a stranger walking down the street with a feed bag. And you see it out in the- Where you were s- you? I was on the Upper East Side, like Midtown, random, like office corporate area. And this, yeah, total stranger walking down the street with a feed bag. And just that first time of seeing your idea come to fruition. And I mean, online sales are amazing, but sometimes you don't get that personal connection. So I had a mini freak out. I didn't talk to her or say anything. <laughs> but and still today, if I see people on the subway or walking down the street, it just it makes my day still. So that never goes away. But I knew we were onto something and I knew I didn't want to stop there. And actually, for about a week, I did get a quote unquote real job. I bought a blazer. I was working at the Council on Foreign Relations as sort of a very entry-level phone call recipient. And I spent the whole day, though, dreaming about feed and plotting who to talk to next and what to do. So just personally, it was just so, so clear that I had to see this through before, again, what I thought was going to be pursuing than a real job. So obviously, like, your natural network is a lot different than the average person at home and like there's certainly the advantages that can come with that so when people come to you for advice who you know are like I have this idea and I want to start something and how do I build a network Mm -hmm. how do you advise them what would you tell them I think you start where you are I mean that's what any of us can do and it is about obviously being strategic and uh, you know finding those great advisors but I would say for yeah the average person I mean it's about connecting with your friends, like feeling out what your community wants in the world. And I think help can come in all different forms and in all different ways. And it's also just about, I think, being clear with people in your network about what you really need. So not like open-ended help me. I have this specific issue. I'm struggling with this specific question. Like, what, what is your take? And then ultimately taking that and like filtering it through your gut and 
pursuing what you think is right. I mean, I think you can be also led astray if you follow too many different people's takes on what they think you should be doing. I'm sure, you know, one of the things I think that is hardest is when you're starting something, everyone has advice for you. Everyone's an expert. And mm-hmm. everyone's like, well, you got to do this. You have to talk to this person. Mm-hmm. You got to do this partnership. And one of the hardest things I think we learned was like how to say no, how to focus. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's been a lot of doors open for you to partner and do this, raise money with this. Like, what has been your framework to stay focused? How do you kind of weed out things that you would do or wouldn't do? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a journey unto itself. And I think one of the biggest hurdles or learnings as a founder. Yeah, I think it's that deep down sort of gut intuition of is this right in the long term? This might be a good quick win or this is like a shiny thing for feed. I think part of that's living and learning and making mistakes along the way and sort of being reflective enough to understand what what was good and not nothing is black and white, nothing is bad or good. Yeah, I think being really thoughtful about what brands you align with, what people you align with, you know, time and energy is so limited. So being really conscious and focused on where you put that. What's the biggest mistake you've made? Ooh. <laughs> I think the biggest mistake maybe has been saying yes too much at times. You know, feed came along again. We were somewhat of a rare bird early on. And a lot of people and brands and wanted to partner with us. And at first we said, yes, yes, yes. And then one day, my head of my GM, who's still with me nine years later, thank God, (laughs) Christina came to me with a spreadsheet and said, we did 16 partners last year. I think it was like 13, sorry. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) Because you kind of can run yourself ragged and take your eye off the main prize, which is, you know, building feed core business, let's say, and thus building our impact. So that was an early lesson learned to kind of be more picky and, and focus I'd say put more energy and more excitement into fewer partners. Okay, recently a friend of mine asked me what a good holiday gift is for her family, and I said, Quip. She said, what's Quip? And I said, well, it's an electric toothbrush company. And she thought I was joking, but I'm very much not joking. It is truly one of the best gifts I've ever received. It is the gift that keeps on giving. You get brush heads automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. And it's just honestly the best toothbrush I've ever used. So give your loved ones quip this year. It looks like a big-ticket tech gift, but at a stocking stuffer price, just starting at $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash skim right now, you will get your first refill pack for free with a quip electric toothbrush. But you don't have to tell your gifty that that's how you got it. Uh, that's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash skim. What or who is your go-to person for advice? I mean, first and foremost, I'd say my husband, David. But secondarily, I mean, I have an amazing team of all really dedicated people that are really at feed, you know, not only to do a great job and what they do, but also because of our mission and so I think my job is as a leader too and sort of keeper of the brand is to keep everyone grounded in that. So secondary, my team. And then third, I would say, yeah, this kind of board of advisors that I have who I can always have an open line to when I need advice and kind of that outside perspective. Most important too is, you know, like we had breakfast way back when. Like I get such inspiration and practical like solutions and ideas from fellow entrepreneurs, especially women, I would say, who 
like me, you know, jumped into something and started it and figured it out. And I just think it's obviously so cool what you guys have built. I thank you. I remember at that breakfast too, one of your sons had an ear infection. Yeah. <laughs> How have you, like you started a business yeah. that you started right out of college. You've gotten married and have two young kids. Mm-hmm. How do you make it work? Oof. <laughs> um, it's hard. It's I would say that's been a struggle and a surprising struggle as someone who prior to having kids and still at times I go to bed on email I wake up on email you know like you're all in and then to have your world kind of flipped upside down and your priorities change so quickly and having a baby or babies plural now but on the other hand in some ways it's made me more focused and more determined because a the connection to our mission is all the greater we've always been focused on feeding kids and now as a mom you realize like how much importance and focus and love goes into that as a mother and I took my first giving trip last year with my team um, to Mozambique and to see kids mothers with their kids and not able to provide it just like brought home the mission all the more so on one hand I feel even more determined but I would say it's a daily kind of struggle and it's in the sense that you know you want to be a present mother but you also I want to be a present mother to my first baby, which is feed. So figuring out kind of how I'm best utilized and what I should be doing on a day-to-day basis for my company and for my children and trying to do the best I can and being very present when I'm at home and then being very present when I go to work. Were you able to take time off after having your children? So I took, I'm actually like a few weeks in, back in um, from having my son Max who's just turned five months yesterday I know so with James my oldest I took maybe like a month and a half which was not enough and I went back and my head was not in a good place to be back but I it was a moment when I needed to really jump back in so with Max I kind of learned that lesson and actually took about four months which was amazing. And it was during the summer, which was made it extra happy. <laughs> but honestly, during that time, I was never not on email. Like my team knew to kind of only send me what really needed my eyeballs on it. So I wasn't constantly needing to get back to people within a day or an hour as it is now. So I, I was off for sure for like, let's say two months and then more and more back on kind of email on what's really important. So it made the transition back to work easier because it wasn't sort of cold turkey gone cold turkey back but yeah I think it's it brings I mean I have a new respect for working moms that I certainly didn't before having a kid and as much as friends and your family can kind of say oh this is going to be hard it's hard but I think again I am so grateful to wake up every day and feel very inspired to be building something I believe in and that really helped you know, propel me back to work. (laughs) So holidays are coming up and I think it's a time of generous spirit, but I always get haunted by the fact when I, year I got out of college, I was really excited that I had my first real credit card and I charged all my holiday presents on the card and 
spent way too much that I could afford and it took me like two years to pay it off. And I really wish that I had had someone helping me to budget and think through um, how to save smarter. There's a fine line that I have crossed many a time between being in the gifting, generous spirit and being the Grinch. Yes. And you know who's not the Grinch? It's Common Bond. (laughs) So Common Bond is this platform that we're a big fan of that helps you reach your money goals. You can trade in your old or expensive loan for a new smarter loan. It can also help you get a lower interest rate, uh, which means you can either save a bunch of money or pay off loans faster. On average, people save $24,000. They've even had people save over $100,000, which is amazing. Yeah, and honestly, the best part is what you see is what you get. No fees, no hidden costs, just savings. So go to commonbond.co slash skim. Listeners who refinance their loans through this URL will receive a $200 cash bonus from Common Bond. Again, that's commonbond.co slash skim. And listeners who refinance their loans through this URL will receive a $200 cash bonus. What are you not good at at work? Mm. I am not great at, I mean, a lot a lot of things. Um, I'm not a good operations person. Like, I like to understand how things were going to happen. But if that was my day-to-day role at Feed, that wouldn't be good for me or for Feed. I'm much more of a keeper of the brand, sort of biz development type role, and that's what suits me best. So as much as I love you know, knowing what's happening, of course, and being involved in some of those details. I recently hired, for that reason, a year ago, a president um, for the first time ever. So someone who comes from that sort of merchant operations, bit of marketing background, and can help sort of day-to-day run the team more or less and allow me the freedom and headspace to then think bigger picture for feed and really kind of do what I do best. So it's not to say I'm not managing anyone because I am still involved in managing the team, but it's been a real game changer for me in the day-to-day of feed and allowing me to step back and be more strategic and I think a lot more useful to the company. What's your go-to interview question? I try to get to the bottom of what people truly love to do. Like if you weren't told you had to work and do something like what would you be doing because I've seen even at feed people have started in one area but naturally gravitated towards another and when someone is in a place where they can really best utilize their talents and are the strongest and most engaged then clearly they're going to be like the best produce the best work I think the question is what did you love doing as a child and then also where do you like ultimately want to go so almost not like can you do the xyz i need you to do but more bigger picture for your life like how does feed fit into this trajectory or story of who you are and where you want to grow to right you walked right into that so what um what did you (laughs) like doing as a child (laughs) i I always loved a making things like art very arts and craftsy Mm -hmm. um but even at an early age i like we'd spend a lot of our summer in Maine with my grandparents, I would make jewelry, I'd string jewelry or make these kind of clay pots and sell them at a local art fair. So not only making things, I always loved selling them then to people. <laughs> That's the key. That's yeah. the key. <laughs> um, or even lemonade stands. You know, I was always kind of trying to organize a group of neighborhood kids to go out and sell our wares. 
So where do you want to, then, so your second interview question, yeah. where would you like to take this? Like where, I know. What, what is the big picture for you? Like, do you see, um, do you see yourself ever having another job? Not really, right? Are you the best employee? (laughs) (laughs) I ask myself that a lot. Yeah, I think, you know, I just, I know there's so much more for us to do. Obviously, the cause is so great. Approximately 800 million people around the world are hungry. Even here in America, 40 million people rely on food banks and soup kitchens. So unfortunately, it's not an issue that's getting smaller. There's been some hopeful movement, but... um, and then feed in general, I just know as a brand can do be bigger than we even are now. So even though last year we celebrated 10 years, we hit 100 million meals given, which was huge. You know, I think your sites are always sort of on the next mountain to climb and the next thing to do. So really focused on um, what we do now and then where we can grow to. Have you ever mm. um, made a mistake in hiring someone? Yes. Are you someone who's quick to realize your own mistake? Yes. I think, I mean, again, we, you know, Feed is a, the team, it's a small and mighty team. So it, you kind of quickly see if someone isn't quite the right fit culturally and or just job fit wise. Whether I've always been quick to sort of address that, I think I've learned over time to be quicker and maybe more upfront when things aren't working than I was initially. Yeah, it's hard to fire someone. It's hard to have those conversations. But ultimately, it's better, A, for the organization, which ultimately is my goal. Whatever is good for feed is what has to happen. Um, And B, it's ultimately better for that person and their career. If it's not a good fit, better to learn quicker and, and move on. What's the worst piece of advice you've gotten? The worst piece of advice beyond sort of, oh, this this won't work, <laughs> or general discouragement. Um, you know, one example of that is, yeah, a good advisor, you know, friend of mine, I was wanting to open our very first store, which we did last year. But before doing that, he very much was like, you're not ready, don't do it, this is never gonna work. Um, and I just felt so strongly, not only from a business perspective, but from a brand perspective, to have a place where people can go and touch and experience the brand and to host conversations like this one and volunteer outings and more for for people to really experience the brand it was it was important to have that brick and mortar place in Brooklyn that we've now opened but he very much was like wait do it when you have x y and z in place and I was like no we're ready now and I just you know was very nervous but we did it and it's it's great I mean so far so good it's working it's doing everything we want from an engagement perspective a brand perspective and from sales and he now has come back and been like, oh, now that I see it, it's great. Like, I do think sometimes you have to, you know, show it and then people believe it. And in, that, in this case, that, that's that been the case. You were talking before about kind of the moment that you started Feedin. Have you seen the social entrepreneur become more of a thing? Or do you think it kind of had that moment in time and there hasn't been as much innovation? I think it's a movement that continues to grow. I think it has evolved from what it was 10 years ago, 11 years ago when I started Feed. But I'm very, it's been a very hopeful part of my journey to see that we're not alone, that this is something kids are studying in Stanford Business School, in all business schools, that most all brands or companies that are really resonating nowadays have like an added altruistic mission or angle or supply chain, whatever it may be. 
Um, so I definitely think it's a movement that is only growing and will continue to be something that customers really look for from businesses. I mean, I think, again, when I started doing good for the world was sort of left to the UN or left to nonprofits or the government. And nowadays, kind of the onus is on business to do that good. And I think that's a really cool thing that customers are demanding now. And in, I think businesses are rising to that challenge or occasion or kind of becoming not as relevant. Awesome. Lauren, well, thank you for, for doing good in the world. Uh, and thank you for being here today. Um, yeah. thank, thank you for having me. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.